You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight I'm going to minister to you in a special truth that I believe will open up hope in your life. And with that, you're going to receive the comeback that you desire in your life. Amen. Father, I pray tonight, I ask, Father, that you'd minister, that you would not let one person leave without hope, that you would stir them up, Lord, by your spirit. Those watching online, Father, we pray for them as well, that you would cause a hope to rise in their heart. And thank you, Father, for the new norm, a new norm of breakthrough, a new norm of increase that far exceeds whatever we've had before. And Lord, we thank you tonight for everyone that will be set free and delivered. And everyone that loved Jesus said amen and amen. Go ahead and be seated, everybody. Praise God. I want to talk about hope tonight. Because in order to have a comeback, you've got to have hope. And one of the things that I have found over the years is when you're in adversity and trials in your life, one of the things Satan tries to do is remove your hope. Because if he can do that, your comeback will not come when the situations begin to change in your life. And I want to start with an illustration that I heard many, many years ago to kind of illustrate what we're up against tonight. It's the way that they actually train elephants. The trainer, what he does is he takes a baby elephant and they take the baby elephant and they chain his leg Uh, to a post that is put in concrete and he has a little bit of uh, you know uh, leeway here and there to move there but he's limited within that chain and he goes out and he tries to get loose at first and it starts pulling his leg but he he thinks maybe he can get through it and he does this repeatedly sometimes for two or three weeks trying to get free from this chain that's around his leg And then finally, he says to himself, there's no way I can break this chain. And so from that point, he begins to grow up and become a big elephant. And he's very powerful now, but he has a belief system in his thinking that says, if they tie something on my leg and they put it in the ground, I can't go beyond it. And even though he is massively able to pull it out of the ground the trainer now all he does is put a rope around his leg and put a wooden stake in the ground and that elephant will not move from that stake in other words he's being bound by a belief system that he has power over but he's bound himself from that and tonight I want to talk about that because I believe personally in my life I've experienced that where I had a belief system that it was something that I believed in it limited what I could do it limited what I could believe God for it limited to what God wanted to do in my life and it really didn't have the power to keep me from doing it but because I believed it it limited me Are you following me so far? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some scriptures that have been misused in the body of Christ for many, many years that have built in a belief system in people that I can't help the way that I am. It was the way I was brought up. 
it runs in the family we're all warriors or you know it runs in my family alcoholism drug abuse I'm going to show you tonight that that belief system doesn't have power over you and because we've misinterpreted scriptures we uh, believe things many times well I can't help it that's just the way I was I was raised that way that's the way my daddy raised me he yelled at me uh, you know he beat me when I grew up that's why I beat my son when he grows up and I can't help it that's the way I am and it's something that God dealt with all through the Old Testament and it was in connection with generational curses for many many years hundreds of years God's people went around and said I'm being punished because of my parents sin I can't succeed because of them not me but because of them I can't win in life because of what they did in the past or grandpa did in the past and people were using that as an excuse not to do what God told them to do I want you to look at the scripture with me and uh, there's a couple of them there's one in Jeremiah but we're going to just look at Ezekiel right here listen to the proverb they said now let me explain what a proverb is a proverb is a metaphor it's like a parable but this is not a proverb from the book of proverbs this is something that was said within the world system that they were in that a child is affected by what the parents do watch what it says what do you mean when you use the proverb concerning the land of Israel saying the father has eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge as I live says the Lord you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel and then he goes on in the whole chapter and he points out that God is not going to punish somebody for their father's sin someone ought to say amen because what we do is we have a tendency to blame other people for our lack of change or our lack of obeying God for our lack of pursuing God to the measure that we should we say it's because of how I was raised but the reality is when you become a new creature in Christ Jesus all that changes in fact I may write this down for reference we won't turn to it but in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 29 the same thing is said but he says this the days are coming when you will no longer use this proverb and then he begins to talk about the church talk about God giving us a new heart and new spirit he said when the church is born I'm going to get, eliminate that saying that you are what you are based on what your parents did in your life so listen and I'm very comforting and, and I understand if you were raised with an alcoholic father or mother maybe your mom was a meth addict maybe your father was a pimp maybe you didn't have a family an ordinary family maybe you were an orphan and I feel for you but we cannot allow the law a lie that the devil is propagated to keep us doing the destiny that God called us to well, I'll never be able to, you know I can't handle my temper it's always like that whatever listen my parents and my family my dad had a bad temper his grandfather had a bad temper 
And I had one after I got saved, but after I learned this, that temper went away. Can you say amen? Because it was a, it was a chain. It was a chain. It was a lie. It was a lie I couldn't change. It was a lie I couldn't remove that mountain. It was a lie that I couldn't prevail when I could. But a lot of people have bought into that. And I understand that that's a terrible environment that people get involved with. But God does not punish the children for the father's sin. But pastor, what about Achan? His whole family was killed when he took the, the money out of Jericho and he took the Babylonian garments. Uh, well, what happened to them? It says their whole family was stoned. They were stoned because the family hid the sin that Achan had done. They concealed the sin of their family so that when God judged Achan, he judged the whole family. God didn't punish the innocent. He punished them all because they were all guilty. Amen? Now listen, people say, yeah, but you know, the Bible says a curse doesn't come without a cause. And the cause is my relatives. But the truth of the matter is it really isn't. Now, does it family, does, does that affect you? Yes. But the point that I want you to see is that you can break through, through that. Sure, if you're raised in a non-functional family, you're going to have some quirks and, and habits that you, you take a child that has, you know, uh, a, he's like his father. He's stubborn. He's rebellious. He, he probably, as he grew up as a toddler, watched his dad throw things across the room, watched his dad verbally abuse his mother, and so he starts throwing a tant, tenter, tantrum, and he grows up, so he learned it by watching it, but that doesn't mean he has to stay that way. He can change. He can be transformed. Isaiah 53, verse 3 and 4 says that Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Remember, there's a difference between a trespass and an iniquity in the Bible. A trespass is simply a sin, an iniquity is unique. And iniquity is when we sin repeatedly until it becomes a bent in our lives. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. Amen? So when you repeat a sin over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it becomes an iniquity, a bent. But remember 1 John 3, 9 says that whatever is born of God does not sin. Why? The bent was changed inside. Your heart has a bent towards righteousness, has a bent towards believing God, has a bent towards trusting the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. You have a bent towards it. And no matter how hard you try inside, you want to do the right thing because God's Spirit is alive inside of you. And so you are different. What you got to do is renew your mind to a measure that you can work that out. But I don't want anyone to think that the way you were raised in all your hardships gives you a reason why you can't change, why you can't fulfill God's will in your life. I've seen people that say they were so insecure because of how they were raised. I can't do that, Pastor. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yes, you can. 
what your father did or your mother did to you doesn't determine what you are right now God will grace you and bless you but you got you have to believe that you are blessed that's what I run against people Christians they don't really believe they're blessed see the blessing won't work you can be born again and God can bless you with every spiritual blessing and it will not work unless you believe in it that's why in the Old Testament when the priest would offer up the sacrifice and, and then he would stand before the people and he'd pronounce a blessing they had to believe in faith on that blessing Amen. same with when the Old Testament saints would die they would lay hands on the firstborn and pronounce a blessing on that firstborn the child had to believe in the blessing for it to happen so here's what the devil does we have a few hardships in our lives he knocks us down and tells us you'll never be able to do what God told you to do because of this this and this and you don't believe you're blessed because you believe the sins of your father or your grandfather or the fact that you were born on the wrong side of the tracks prevents you from being that millionaire if that's what you wanted to be or prevent you from that career change or prevent you from pursuing that sport in your life that you desire you're allowing all of that to dictate to you amen God is a specialist at using losers all you got to do is believe that what he did is more powerful than what was done to you And that God will not hold you accountable for someone else's problem. Here's a rule of thumb. Never ever allow your circumstances to justify your actions. You see it when people used to go to bars, they would sit in the bar and you know what a a lush is? Somebody that just, just lives to drink. He's in there, he's talking to the bartender. What does he do? How come you drink so much? How come you go, go home to your family? And what does he usually say? Well, you don't realize how I was raised. I, my mom kicked me out when I was 13. I've been living on the street. My mom went from one husband to the next, and they just sit there and soak themselves. How many know what I'm talking about? That's exactly what the devil's trying to do to us so that we won't become what God wants us to be. We, we use what happened to us as a justification not to pursue our visions and dreams that God gives us. Well, I can't do that because I don't have the education. I can't do that because, you know, I'm not on the right side of the tracks. I can't do that because I don't know the right people. I can't do that because of my culture or because of my race. What we need to do is realize that we've been grafted into a new tree and that tree is Jesus Christ and God can use us to, to, and it doesn't matter where we come from it doesn't matter if we were in dysfunctional families God will not hold that against you and God will mold you and he will bless you and he'll bring you out into the blessing now I know that when you talk about generation curses that oftentimes they say well pastor what we need to do is is ask God to forgive the sins of our father 
and then God will bless us. I want you to learn something about God right now tonight. That Bible is progressive revelation. You, it, it, it expands as you get to the cross and farther. Amen. Nehemiah was written hundreds of years before Ezekiel's revelation came forth. Hundreds of years before, before Jeremiah's revelation about what I'm preaching tonight was ever revealed. And when he was rebuilding the temple, what did he do? He said, I'm going to pray not only for our sins, but the sins of our parents. And you know what? When he did that, the people believed they were blessed. God has more than one way to bless you. He's got more than one way to heal you, more than one way to prosper you, more than one way to get you to succeed. He's got more than one way, and you've got to understand that about God. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight, I'm not trying to be div divisive in any way, shape, or form. I'm just telling you that you can move that mountain, that you can move that barrier, that you don't have to be held back by that invisible belief system that is no longer holding you, that no longer can keep you from the dreams and the visions that God has called you to. I'm not, I'm not what someone says I am. I am what Jesus says I am. I'm not crippled. I'm not handicapped because of my past. I got Jesus Christ and he can give me the breakthrough that I need in my life. And I won't refuse to let religion steal my increase, steal my healing, steal my blessing. Woo. And I think once you get a hold of this, it changes everything because you have no more excuses why you don't pursue that education that you desire or the excuse why you never get married again or the excuse why you'll never start a business again because you realize I should do whatever God has called me to do. Amen? Now here's the key that I want you to see. Write this down. If you want to come back, you got to refocus for it. Focus in the Bible is really everything. What you focus on, will you'll strengthen. If I focus on my weaknesses, I'll strengthen my weaknesses. If I focus on Christ's strength, I'll become strong. So whatever my focus is will determine the outcome in my life. Now guys, let me give you an illustration that'll show you the power of focus. Look at this verse, Matthew 5. And this is the old King James Version, but I want you to notice what he's talking about. He's talking about lusting of the eyes. Watch how he says it. If, if thy right eye offends thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is for it is profitable for these that one of thy members should be perished and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now notice he uses the word offend. Other translations say sin. You know what is unique about offense? Whenever you become offended at someone, it's because you focus in on what they did to you. 
You focus on the wrong done to you. You focus on the pain. You focus on what someone said about you. You focus in on what it cost you. You focus in on that. And offense, that Greek word offense, it means the trigger of a trap. You actually snare yourself. And you can't go anywhere because your focus is on what happened to you. They took advantage of me. Should have gave me a raise and they didn't. He wrecked my marriage, whatever. And you focus in on the offense and when you do that, you become like the elephant. You have this chain that prevents you from doing and accomplishing what God's word says to do for you. Focus is everything. If you don't know Jesus, rest assured, it's, this is great. You can be the greatest sinner there was. I parted the longest. I had my way with the most women. I was the most selfish. And now you're saved. You know you can become a super Christian just by changing your focus. Instead of focusing on, on your sin or your selfishness, you redirect it on the things that please God. And the same determination that brought you as a sinner is turned for good and all of a sudden you become an on-fire believer. Instead of focusing on the girl's body parts, you're focusing on God's will in your life and the visions and dreams begin to flourish and the Holy Spirit begins to birth things inside of you. It's about the focus. But we live in a world that wants to focus in on what's went wrong with our lives focus on the fact that we don't have the car that we always wanted to get, have focus on the fact that we haven't got the house that we really wanted yet focus on the fact that you should have been promoted by now but you're not focus on this and that and what you do is you become offended and then you can't flourish in Christ but imagine what would happen if we focused in on our hopes if we focused in on the hope for a comeback on what God can do in my life if I would just focus in on his will in my life that he can give me the comeback in my life he can give me the blessing in my life he can give me the breakthrough in my life he can bring me to another level that I've ever seen before if I would just focus in on that wow think about how powerful that would be and how that would transform your life focus focus instead of focusing on your fears focus in on your faith on the promises of God and I could give you scientific statistics that are the ones that I would focus on if I was going to focus on natural things that say that the average person has a 1% chance of getting the virus only people over 60, 65 have a what is it 13% chance of getting it but instead we focus in on the news we focus in on the political fighting that's going on and, and our hope is destroyed we're going to come out of this better than we did before 
There's going to be more people saved this year than there ever was before. There's going to be a great outpouring of God's spirit that we've ever seen before. That's what I'm focused on. I'm not focusing in on all this stuff over here. I'm going to see God move in my life. I got a hope for a better life, a better church, a better, come on, souls being saved. I've got, I got hope on you, bro. I know God's got a future. You're a winner. You're a warrior. We're going to be starting an intern program at the church for the young people. And we want to add, a, add on kind of a gymnasium off the front of the building where that green area is. That's what I'm going to focus in on. I'm going to focus in on building leaders, building champions building people that will occupy until Jesus comes that will change our culture rather than being enslaved to it but it's going to take that focus and when I realize that stands between me and success I choose success Paul said this when I'm weak I'm strong in other words, I'm not going to focus on, on my pain, my weaknesses in my life. I'm going to focus in on the grace of God because Jesus told me that when I'm weak, his grace is made strong. So he just refocused. And when he did, the power of God began to move in his life in a supernatural way. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be listening to this. This is important for you. Now here's the key to this. Hebrews 11:6 says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For you must believe that He is God, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him." Notice it said, "Diligently seek Him." Say it with me: "Diligently seek Him." Diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him. What does that mean exactly? I liken it onto this: If you took a sponge, it hadn't been used and you pour water over it would absorb a little bit of water right just a little bit but every time you pour that water on over it it absorbs more and more and more and more and more it's not that God says you have to pr produce all these works to be blessed by me Kim your sponge becomes soft and you get absorbed by the riches of his grace and the riches of his wisdom and that's what gives you the victory it's not your works it's the fact you're diligent and as you diligently seek him in worship in praise your heart becomes sensitive and you become an absorber of his riches and the anointing amen tell you what this is so exciting and I'm, I'm fired up about this because there's so much that I have in my heart for dreams and visions that I know would never happen if I didn't have any hope the Bible said hope deferred makes the heart sick and desire fulfilled as a tree of life so hope is it's not only an expectation it's something that you let me put it this way hope is really seeing things in your heart that are not yet appearing hope is not outward it's not outwardly what I see 
Hope is inwardly what I see in my imagination. When I see my house paid for, when I see that extra vacation home that you've been desiring for years, even though it's not there yet, you see it in your heart. That's why hope is so important. That's why it says hope deferred makes heart sick, but desire coming. I can see it in my heart, it's coming. I see the breakthrough is going to come. I'm positive it's going to come. It'll transform you. Let me give you something in the Hebrew about hope. It's actually made up of three letters in the Hebrew. The one is ta, resh, chef, and ta again. Now, ta is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The Greek is the alpha, the omega. It would be comparison to the omega. It means the last part of something. So when you have hope, you're seeing what you desire to happen to you in its end result. Say amen. And the second part, resh, it means to the head, but it means to bow over. And it's used when God created creation. They had to bow over to it. But it, had a, it has a specific reality. It means to clarify to clarify what you've put your stamp on, to, to have a clear vision of what you're hoping for. And then the chap, which is a fence, it means the, the house of this imagination, the house of this vision. And then again, ta, the last. In other words, see the whole thing clearly, what you hope for. The end before it comes. See, the end in the beginning is what he's saying. That's what hope means in the Hebrew. How many are ready for hope? The Bible said in Isaiah that who's, it says that we'll be in perfect peace whose mind, or another translation says whose imagination is set on him. It gives us peace. Let me show you how powerful hope is. There was an experiment done by a psychiatrist. And this, the, the experiment was to prove the power of hope, what it can do in your life. And I wish he didn't use what he used, but he used rats. He took some rats and he put them in this water container and put in there, and they begin to swim in there, as rats do. After 10 minutes, they all drowned. So he takes the rats out and he gets some new rats. And he puts them in again, and they're swimming away. And right about, right before 10 minutes, they start breathing hard, start getting nervous, and you know they're just about ready to go under. So he grabs the rats, takes them out, dries them all off, warms them up, gives them a good meal, lets them rest for an hour. Takes the rats, put them back in the tank. This time, they were able to swim 19 minutes and they're about ready to perish after 19 minutes and so he he takes them out again and, and dries them off warms them up feeds them and then the next time it was 30 minutes I kept doing this how many want to guess how long these rats s swam after hope was built inside of them 30 seven hours 37 hours these rats 
learned to swim and keep swimming uh, at for the ones in the beginning that had no hope they perished in 10 minutes but after you build hope in them they change and the whole idea of the experiment was to show you that hope can be developed hope is something that can be developed in a person optimism can be developed in a person hallelujah instead of us developing helplessness that can be developed as well and I just felt like you know between the elephant and the false belief system that holds me back there's this rat thing that maybe some of you tonight you just need more hope you need someone to pick you out of the water you're about ready to perish take you aside and dry you off and feed you and, and, and let you rest a little bit before you go back into that trial because God wants you to know tonight that God's provided a hope in Jesus Christ and you can get the breakthrough and you can come through it with healing, come through it with blessing. You can come out of it if you can let loose of those old belief systems that seem to hold you back and prevent the success that God wants you to have in your life. I think of all the times that I was, I just felt like, man, why even bother? Why not just give up? And the Holy Spirit would come upon me and refresh me. Or somebody in the church would come over and say, Pastor, I got a word for you. Or I got an intercessor. She's down in, uh, where's that place at? Where is it? Branson she was an intercessor in the church here for years and she would call up pastor what's going on Lord told me to call you and encourage you took me out of the water put me over the side here I got more endurance now than I ever had in my life God doesn't want us to drown through this trial he wants us to come out on top. He wants us to get the breakthrough in our life that God desires to do. But you've got to understand that hope is like the blueprint to your life. Faith is called the substance of things hoped for. So faith is, it gives substance to your blueprint. Hope is like the mole that you pour the substance in. If you have dreams and visions, you don't have hopes there'll be nothing for your faith to give substance to and if you can't see in your heart what you're hoping will happen in your life there's no way that faith can give substance to it you got to see that there's better days in store for you you got to see there's a miracle in the horizon you got to see and you know what I found that the things that are easiest to believe for me are simple things Cars are simple for me. Easy to believe for a car. Piece of cake. Why? Because I know the make, the model, the motor size, the color of the interior, the wheelbase. Because I was in body and fender work all you know before I go into ministry. So 
it's easy for me to build a vision for a car, but that's just a car. What really matters is when we build a vision for our children, we build a vision for the church, we build a vision for our careers and, and what God's called you to do, the uniqueness that you have, the gifts that you have, a vision for it. One of my favorite movies that I like to watch is Shark Tank. And uh, if you've ever watched this about these very wealthy entrepreneurs that people come up with a business idea. And, and, uh, and it's, it's kind of a funny movie because Joyce always feels sorry for the people that get abused. But, but to me, it's a vision keeper. These people come in with vision with a hope someone will give them a leg up to get this thing done well Jesus already did this leg up for us and I know tonight many of you have you don't have enough hope if I was going to your house I wouldn't find that many blueprints I wouldn't find that many blueprints that say this is where my life wants to be later in my life and what I want to encourage you tonight is God wants you to get the blueprints out Start hoping again for those things that God instilled in your heart and then your faith will give substance to it. And you'll see the desires of your heart. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river and we're doing life together.